So for me to feel like I'm being 100% honest, I guess I have to ensure that the things that I put inside of me, whether it be air <laughs> or food or the people that I surround myself with, all these things that we intake, we can control and we have a choice of. So it's just a natural every day. It's an every day I wake up and go, okay, today plant-based, right? Because at any point I'm, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, it's an everyday choice. It's not like once you become vegan, right? That's, it's it. I mean, it's still every day you wake up and go, oh, hey, I, I see a donut over there. It's not vegan, but I'm still choosing to be vegan. Like, hey, I've got a partner. I choose him every single day. Um, I choose my career. I choose this house, right? It's like we, we forget that we have choices in everything that we do. You know, as plant-based people or as, as plant-based advocates or, or vegans, whatever you want, whatever label you want to put on it, we tend to make it all about the food, right? Like we talk a lot and food is a big component of our lives and, you know, with good reason. And you can find the, I think you can find the connection of food to virtually all of the major challenges we face in humanity. But because of that, I think it's important to recognize that, as you were just talking about, it is a lifestyle that connects us, not just to community, to each other, to animals, to the earth, to the environment. So it's so much more than just about the food that whether you want to call it mindfulness or plant-based or vegan, it's, it's really, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of humanism to me. That was Ayami Yamamichi and Matt Spiwak talking mindfulness and plant-based nutrition, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Jess. I'm your host, and this is episode 46 of the YTP. I'm jumping right in today because I don't want you to have to wait long to listen in on this very engaging and thought-provoking conversation with two people that we are lucky enough to call friends. In revisiting this episode this week, I found myself hanging on their every word, and I think you're going to find the same. There are nuggets of wisdom everywhere, so you may want to get your journal because I think this show is going to give you some things to think about. Thank you for tuning in, for supporting the show by using the Amazon banner ad and becoming a patron on Patreon. This show exists because of your support, and it's a gift that we get to bring it to you every week. If this or another episode speaks to you, if it's helping you make positive changes in your life, why not scoot over to iTunes and write a review for the show? This is an easy way to make a big difference. Speaking of making big differences, Ayami and Matt, whose friends call Spee, are nothing less than a power couple carrying messages of mindfulness, love, and knowledge into the world every day. Ayami is a wanderlust teacher, Lululemon ambassador, entrepreneur, author, and community advocate on a mission to ignite the love that resides in each of us as a vehicle to bring healing to the world. In addition to her studio and private classes, Ayami leads workshops, trainings, retreats. She offers entrepreneurial business consulting and helps others realize their potential in creating a life that is fueled by purpose and passion. Ayami is passionate. She is so passionate about mindful eating and plant-based cooking that in August of 2015, she published her first book, Mindfully Clear, 22 Days to a Clear Body and Mind. 
In the few short years that I've known Ayami, she is always in the midst of creating something amazing, like her Prayers for Peace project that we took part in during our Ride the High Vibe tour, or organizing one of her life-changing yoga and meditation retreats. To be around Ayami is to feel love. She is as present as they get. Her words are thoughtful, her actions even more so, and her purpose in this life is being lived not just for her own good, but without a doubt, it is for the good of all. Spee, the other half of this power of presence couple, was a fitness fanatic who spent a ton of time running, weightlifting, and taking classes at the gym. But he noticed that he had to rely on distraction even to get through the workout. He blasted music into his ears and thought about anything other than what he was doing. But when he discovered yoga, it was total opposite. Rather than having to focus on the distractions, he had to focus precisely on what his body and mind were doing in that moment. Yoga has given Spee a framework to build both physical and mental strength and to explore these connections. For him, he says the real practice of yoga is the space between the practices. It's the transition between the poses and what we do in life between the asana classes. He too is a yoga instructor and maintains a day job that may just surprise you. He holds a professional certification in plant-based nutrition and cooking, offers food-related workshops, and writes as the Plant-Based Yogi, a website dedicated to sharing the benefits of a whole food, plant-based yoga lifestyle. Check out the show notes for all the ways to connect with Ayami and Spi. You do not want to count them out of your life. The earth is a better place because of these two. So without further ado, I give you Ayami, harmonizer of the universe, and Spi, culinary asana wizard. All right, so let's dive in. Let, we're, you're just talking about the GMO thing. Why don't you fill the them GMOs in on in, it? Uh, and food labels. Food labels. GMOs. So they, Obama passed a law that is going to go into effect, I believe, in two years where they're going to have to label. They don't need to label it GMO. There's, there'll be a QR code where people can scan and determine whether it was if it's non-GMO, and it's not required for them to put it on within the two years, and they won't be fined. So there's, and the organic industry backed it, the, yeah. the big people backed it. Um, so I'm sure there's a give and take there, and it's a step forward, but I just don't know what, you know, what the meaning is behind that. But you, you gave me a stat about, like, the number of people um, who don't have smartphones. Yeah, there's still a quite a large population, the elderly, mm-hmm. obviously, that don't have smartphones. And I was, I immediately, being on this tour, was thinking, what if I don't have my Wi-Fi? Like, I don't right. want to use my data, so I'm not going to scan it yeah. because I don't want to know. And who, who really shops like that? Who goes around <laughs> scanning products? <laughs> products. <laughs> You know, and imagine being, you know, busy uh, mom or dad, you got kids hanging off the carts and you're like, well, hang on, let me scan this. And the internet doesn't work half the time in those stores. Exactly. I mean, it's got to be like, there was compromise there for sure. And I'm not quite sure why the big organic businesses backed it. I mean, there was compromise. I just, I think it's a step forward. I feel that, but I'm, I just well, haven't I quite figured them, it out. Like they think they're giving us more information because we're, they're trying to educate and we're always like, oh, well, we want to be more educated, more knowledgeable so that we can make better choices. And that might be their solution. <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. like, well, 
is it really a solution or is it like a band-aid of a solution that's just masking a deeper? Yeah. I mean, like somebody like me, I'm going to just, it's probably going to, um, oh, maybe this is why the organics backed it is that for me, I'm just, I'm probably really just going to be strictly organic at this point, knowing that that would be non-GMO because we're busy. Like, I mean, there might be some times that I have a chance to take out my phone and scan it and all of that. But I mean, and I'm just one person with no kids. So a mom with, yeah, like you said, kids hanging off the cart, like it's just not going to happen. And I think it's population like, you know, over 60 and then uh, lower socioeconomic populations don't have these smartphones, don't have, um, that was what the statistic was showing, that um, there's such a large quantity of people that just don't even have access to the technology. So Mm -hmm. it's almost like a First Amendment, wasn't it the First Amendment? In the 14th Amendment of, Mm. you know, because you're alienating people from have an access and think yeah. about now they know that your phone activated access the code and also there's opportunities to market even more right when you get to that website yeah. to see exactly so, right. yeah it's just, it's a snowball effect i i guess we'll just see how things how things unravel but also labels too labels have changed to me i mean i don't want to be a pessimist on this but i think it's a it's an example or a testament to how powerful the food lobby is or you know the food lobby as a kind of an industry or the food industry i should say as as lobbyists um you know i think they're they're second only to the oil and gas industry in terms of dollars spent buying votes in washington wow so you know i i think um sometimes more information isn't always better and yeah the uh the food labels that are changing i think they go into effect at some point next year or next spring is an example of that because I think um, these USDA food labels are supposed to get, empower you with information, but they are able to design them in such a way that is just utterly confusing for consumers that it's not really empowering, perhaps because the industry that's supposed to be protecting us, that's giving us this information, has a dual purpose. The USDA has to market food as well. That's the mission of the USDA. So how do you protect and also promote the same thing? Well, and specifically the industries of animal agriculture and dairy. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Like those are the... Those are Checkmark programs. Yeah, essentially. Um, what's changing with the labels? I think I heard about this, but I'm not... Yeah, so the, the nutrition fact labels, that's the thing on the side of the package or on the back sometimes or bottom that say, right now it says... Um, you know, calories from fat and total calories per serving, serving size, all the things, you know, vitamins, things like that. They're making a few minor changes from what I've seen. They're getting rid of the calories from fat, but they're adding um, uh, added sugars to the label. So they have to clearly indicate when they add sugar to something like, you know, if it's a product that doesn't need it or whatever, they clearly label this has five grams of added sugar or whatever it is. Ah, determining between, mm -hmm. like, if it's a package of dates, that it's natural occurring sugars. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And we, I did a cleanse in in May through Rhode Island Power Yoga, Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, we removed added sugar. And I didn't consider myself to have a high sugar diet, which I really didn't, but I was shocked once I started really reading the labels... Because I'm buying these quote unquote health food type of sauces, just convenience things to throw on my my one bowls and things like that. And how many of them 
had added sugar in them. Yeah. How it made me realize how much more sugar I was consuming than I thought I did. And I'm not, you know, we're not eating cookies and, and, you know, a lot of that stuff. That's a treat. But to see it in, you know, the barbecue sauce and the, you know, uh, vegan aiolis and things like that, to have sugar in so many things. Even like the the uh, banana chips, like you just go get banana chips and there's right, you think heavy they just sugar. Need bananas. <laughs> right, you would think, <laughs> but there's sugar. But they're not, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that'll be a good thing for people to determine because naturally occurring sugars, and maybe you guys can speak to this. There's a fear out there that. Especially, I think, with people with diabetes. And I have this experience from my mother who is diagnosed with diabetes. She, the advice of her doctor was stay away from the sugar and, and talking about fruit with her. Like, I really had to educate her on the difference between, you know, these added sugars and, um, and fruit. And so people are, are scared of fruit thinking that it's too high in sugar. Oh, yeah. People are scared of carbs in general. It's, you know... I mean, the, the paleo thing, it just refuses to die. And it's, it's just Atkins dressed up again, you know, because what are people doing when they're not consuming the carbs? They're replacing it usually with high amounts of protein and or fat. And uh, it's interesting, you know, we knew 40, 50 years ago from the literature that when you look at some of the early studies done on diabetes and the prevalence of diabetes, they had two groups. There was a recent study I just saw, reread again, it was from the 1970s where one group they fed a diet of rice and sugar. The other group they fed a diet of high amounts of animal protein and fat. Well, which group do you think ended up with more diabetes? Well, I know the answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) But why don't you share? Rice and sugar, and this group had very, very low incidence of of diabetes. The animal uh, consumption group that was eating a lot of protein, a lot of animal fats, high amounts of diabetes, because diabetes is an insulin problem where the body doesn't produce insulin and that happens when the fat clogs up the cells that and their ability to make insulin it's not caused by carbohydrates and yet everybody is afraid of carbs these days it's crazy well to to treat diabetes with don't eat sugar it's it's almost like well the 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 diabetes is just the symptom of what the main problem is and the main problem is that these animal the fat from the animal products are in the cells, right? Like, yeah. and the the sugar exchange, like the insulin, like your body becomes insulin resistant. Is that the correct terminology? Yeah, yeah. Well, because the way insulin works, and I'm not a specialist on this, but um, you know, I, I like to read and study a lot of these doctors. Is insulin's kind of like the metaphor is um, it's a key for your cells. So when you're but when you ingest something with whether it's added sugar or naturally occurring sugar from fruit. Um, your body gets a, a flood of you know energy, and there's there's more sugar circulating around the body. So this key goes into the cell that in turn releases hormones and insulin that opens up your blood to be able to take in the blood sugar and process it through the body, use it as energy, and then you know regulate, come back to normal level. When fat clogs up these cells, it's like putting chewing gum in a lock. So you can no longer turn the key, and your body doesn't produce the insulin it needs to get rid of the excess sugar. So you just end up having heightened blood sugar. Right. So the sugar in the blood is, is the result of the problem. It's the symptom of the fatty cells. Right. It's so not, to say yeah. just don't eat a lot of sugar is not solving the problem yeah. at right. all. So can you put to, to rest people's fears about fruit? 
You give them the actual and I'll give them my take, <laughs> my <laughs> spiritual take. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, again, you know, I, I, I work I work in a lab with scientists um, and information scientists myself. I feel like knowledge is information. And if you look at it, the literature, consuming whole fruits by, and, you know, whole foods in general, but whole fruits as close to nature as possible. So retaining all the vitamins, the phytonutrients, the water, the fiber, these are naturally regulating things. Like seriously, have you ever sat down and tried to consume massive amounts of oranges? Like how many oranges can you stuff into yourself before you're just like, you can't eat anymore? And even then, I can't imagine- You're counting, BJ. He's like, hmm. Well, well, you know, after a race or something, but like, (laughs) but but if you look at, they've done these studies where they've had people sit down and consume massive amounts of fruit. And what they said is there's almost, on a practical level, there's no limit or maximum to the amount of fruit that is a healthy number of fruit to eat. And yet even the USDA, as problematic as they are, or the, the food guidelines say we should be consuming at least, what is it, five or six fruit servings mm-hmm. of fruit a day, which we know Americans aren't getting because 97% of Americans don't get the recommended fi- daily fiber every day. And it's the fiber that turns the sugar into a slow-release pill. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's one of the reasons that fruit is not only okay, it should be on your plate every day on a regular basis, make it a habit. And the other thing is that we need to trust nature's package. Yes. It's perfect. So I want to hear the spiritual take (laughs) on fruit. No pressure. So I think, um, I think it's, I think that when we bring in this language of don't eat this or when we get scared of things, we miss out on so much. Like, I think it's, there's, I, I think of a strawberry, like the perfect ripe, plump strawberry. Like, is there anything better than just picking it, popping it in your mouth and just feeling all the juices like fill your mouth and, you know, it's like you let it sit in your mouth and... I don't know. There's, to me, there's nothing better than those types of feelings with food. And not only that, it's, it's when you eat more food, and I guess this is just me, when I eat more fruit, then my taste buds feel more alive. And in that sense, food becomes more enjoyable. So you're not really taking away from your experience of food. It's like you're enhancing it. And it enhances all foods, not just fruit, but vegetables and all these naturally occurring perfections and imperfections that we have in nature. Um, To say like no fruit ever again is just so, it's sad, Mm. right? It's like, I don't know. That's... (laughs) To me, that would just be a major deprivation in life. And um, there's this misunderstanding that when you get get rid of the animal products that like, like when you move to a plant-based diet that... Like you're going to be deprived and it's, it's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that I think for some people you need to hear it over and over and over and over again. And maybe one day it makes sense. And one day you might say, I might give it a try. Maybe I won't be deprived because the people that we talk to, and we've been talking to a lot of plant-based people lately is that, and the, and they say the same thing, their whole world Mm, opened up. It's blossomed to food. Yeah. And so the way that you were just describing that strawberry and I, and I love that it reminded me of this moment in yoga training and you and I have Uh both gone through live, love, teach training. (laughs) No, you, I don't think you were in the class, but we had to really dive in deep, go figure to something that we loved. And for me, it was, um, the, 
the, I was talking about vegetables and how I love vegetables and how, you know, you hold a beet in your hand and like you're holding the whole earth. And then there's this root where the life began. And then off of the root, there's like these beet hairs and like those have life. And they were all like connected into the ground and like just getting so into it. And it just reminded me of that when you were talking about that strawberry, because it's really about bringing this idea of mindfulness into what we eat. And if we're really mindful about it, why would eating fruit ever not make sense? Right. It's right. provided for us naturally from the earth. Mm-hmm. And that when we do things mindfully, we erase that space for fear, I think, because we're seeing truth. Yeah. And then you would, you would kind of know how to take care of yourself if you were really mindful, right? It's like, okay, does it really feel good in my body to eat three plates of strawberries all day long, every day? At some point, probably you would start missing other types of flavors and textures. So it's like our bodies know what we need and how to take care of ourselves. But it's the other, the stimulation and all these things that we see and read that kind of get in our head a little bit. And it's almost like it dries out the seeds that we've already got rooted really nicely in our bodies. It almost like it depletes that of water or nourishment and says, well, what if, try this. And, um, and it can be confusing. But it's like, like you guys were saying, simplicity, like simplifying. Well, simplifying is actually beautiful, right? Like you've really experienced that firsthand. And the same, I think, in nature is like when you simplify your food, you realize how much life and beauty there is out there in these, what we think are simple foods, but really they're so rich and, mm. and they, have, they feel like they have life. So the spiritual side to that is there, I feel like there is an energy exchange when you eat something that's purely coming from the earth and it hasn't gone through this processed state So I see why people can be scared of sugar in the form of, like you were saying, it was in my sauce and I didn't know, or it's in these cookies, a little bit more obvious, Um, or it might be in the banana chips. But there's a difference in the sugar that comes from a natural source that doesn't feel like it's weighing you down. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to comment that. To me, I think there's also there... I love science because I think there's actually a spiritual part of science Oh, I mean, that, spirituality, um, it's all science. Yeah. Yeah. In, uh, in his book, uh, Colin Campbell um, wrote the book Whole. It's, I think the subtitle is Rethinking nu- the Science of Nutrition. And I love the way he describes the beauty and the essence, but also the science of consuming whole foods, you know, wholes close to nature, because he starts to talk about the components of food and how you can break apart a food and look at the the sugars, the carbohydrates, the fiber, you know, things we've identified. But then you start to get into these other categories like the phytonutrients, the phytochemicals, these things that we're now finding, these anthromycins that have cancer-fighting properties, these incredible things that nature somehow devised that have these incredible reactions in the body. And he gets to a point where he talks about it as eating the whole food is like the whole symphony, like, yeah, you can, you can pull apart the symphony and just listen, listen to the timpani or the violin, but when you consume that whole food, you're eating a symphony of nutrition that we're just beginning to understand how that all works together as a whole. So it's not just the fiber, it's not just the vitamins or the phytonutrients, it's that 
really magical, complex interaction in the body. It's amazing when you have that kind of connection with food. Yeah, and looking at it as a whole, and I think it's Dr. Garth Davis that talks about this reductionist science, like where we say, we start grouping foods into, well, this is a carb. Well, it's so much more than a carb. A pepper is so much more than a carb. And that it comes in this package that kind of takes care of all of its elements as one. And one of the things that I love is that, so the proteins that are coming, you know, from some vegetables and things like that are, or plant-based proteins are incomplete. And I think a lot of people think that that means they're inferior, but in fact, it just means that when combined with other, you know, we can uh, make um, complete proteins, but we don't even have to think about it because our bodies have the ability that once the food is inside us to group it together and create those complete proteins. Like, what are we messing with? Mm -hmm. It's it's already set. And then we're breaking it down and saying, well, this is only worthy because it's fat or it's a good fat. Well, there's so much more in there than good fat. And there's so much more in there than protein. Um, So with the plant-based sources, it's just this like perfect package. And uh, I'm looking at Ayami's book here. I think this is a good segue into talking about Mindfully Clear 22 Days to a Clear Body and Mind. You came out with this book Last, last year? Last summer. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us about it. I didn't even know you were writing a book and all of a sudden it was out and I was just like <laughs> cheering. I was so excited. Um, well, I, I've been wanting to write a book for many, many years. I didn't know exactly what the book would be about, um, but it was kind of those, you know, I want to write one. Um, so this one came from my own experience of just trying um, all different types of cleanses and diets and noticing that there was always a trend in each one in that it would work for a good two weeks to a month and then I would just go back to crashing um, or just an unhappy relationship with food. Um, So I realized that for me there was a really, there was something missing and I thought that if there was something missing for me there might be something missing for other people. Um, So when I wrote this It was more for, I think, myself. It was almost like a journaling session where um, I tried to to piece apart the way that I eat and and mostly the relationship that I have with food. And, And I realized that the key is actually really simple. And it has everything to do with um, your interaction with food, just like your interaction with other people. So it's essentially treating food as this, um, as a living thing, a living creature that you're intaking into your body and conversing with. And it's this back and forth constant exchange that we, that we have. Um, but a lot of the diets and the, and the cleanses out there, they just, they don't get to that level of the connection. They just kind of stop surface level, which gets you like maybe halfway there. Um, but it's just missing this idea of like, well, hold on, what if we just stopped before we even put something in our mouths? Like what happens before that? You know, um, how is food prepared? What happens in your shopping process? Or even be beyond just the food prep stage, um, what are you doing in the car on the way to the grocery store? Just these little, it's like really taking a step back and then another step back and another step back to see what goes into the ritual of eating. 
And um, I think the more simple that I, that I made it and the more I realized um, it's nothing complicated. So all these, um, these cleanses and diets that I had tried were pretty complex and, and they got into my head and, um, and I just felt stuck. So I thought, well, how can I un get unstuck? And what's something that I can do that's easy enough that I can do every single day, no matter the scenario? Um, so it's, it's basically this book is just my, it's like a 22-day journey into both plant-based eating, for sure, because that's something that I'm passionate about. But it's more so this nudging of, hey, we were born as mindful beings. And something happens as we grow up where we have to, we get really busy and food is no longer this priority or meals are no longer a priority. My message is, well, what, why is that? And what happens if we do prioritize giving ourselves more time to understand how food feels in our body, how we create it, and how, how it feels in our mouth, right? The textures, the flavors, the smells. And I guess you could bucket it as mindfulness, um, but that's, that could just be this umbrella term. Really, it's, it's this idea of being in a beautiful exchange with something that's so important to our survival. Walk me through one day. Walk me through one day of mm. this of this clear. Okay, so it starts in the morning, and I talk about rituals as being important. So, the the first thing that I that I emphasize is something like a tea, or for me, it's warm water with lemon and cayenne. You can probably speak to more of the nutritional side of that, but it, it sets your your system into it. Kind of like creates this nice clean blank slate for you when you do start eating food. Um, but it starts there, and it's just like even when you're drinking just water, you know, who says that can't be a beautiful experience, mm -hmm. right? It's like we can just down a cup of water, or we can notice how it feels when we just bring our lips to a cup and the feeling of water going down. And it might change from one day to the next, but how would you know if it does change or not if you're not able to at least sit with yourself and recognize that whole experience. So it's almost like you're slowing mm -hmm. down time when you're not, right? It's not like time actually slows down, but you're giving yourself, it's like you're giving yourself time back by taking care of yourself very early on from the moment you wake up, making sure that self-care is your top priority from a mindfulness perspective, which means that hopefully from that point on, then it's not just food that incorporates mindfulness, it's when you get to work or when you take care of your kids or you go for a walk. Everything starts to have this trickle effect. So from that first drink, then you have a breakfast option. It's segmented into three different parts. So for instance, the very, the first um, phase of this, you start with um, a smoothie and then um, lunch is another smoothie, and dinner is a type of a soup. So the first five days of this cleanse are such that 
from a food standpoint, it's going to give you a nice clean reset of your body because if you are somebody who is consuming a lot of processed foods mm-hmm. or other types coffee of... Coffee in the morning. Coffee, sure, whatever it might be. Um, it gives you a chance to feel that effect of what... I think a lot of people, when they sign up for a cleanse, like they kind of want that, right? It's like they kind of want to be pushed. They want to feel that like flush. But what they, what they get along with that are <clears throat> daily emails that I write and each one, so if you go through the book, every single day there's a, there's a tip or a quote or an exercise or something completely mindfulness related that pairs with the phase of the cleanse. So in the beginning, it's a little bit more laid back, I guess, or, you know, just easing, easing into. In. Yeah, yeah. But by the end, it's... Um, it's hammer time. A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Well, you got to close the deal. You, you, I mean, I think a lot of people get into cleanses and they don't right. see it through to the end. I mean, the whole, the, so the whole thing, right, is like, why do we need cleanses at all, you know? And, and so I was, I was joking with someone. I was saying, if this is, if you just buy this and never talk to me again, <laughs> that's fine because that means that you're taking this and you don't need me to guide you or you don't need a book or you don't need any other diet or anything because this works for you. And I guess that's where I, I got to is like, I stopped buying those books, um, stopped reading the articles, stopped paying for things that I didn't need to pay for. And mostly I just am, am happy, you know? And, and I think it's because this way of eating has translated into my relationships and my work. And I mean, that's really what mindfulness will do is it just seeps into every little nook and cranny of your life in the most utterly beautiful way. It sounds like you become empowered too. So you're, mm-hmm. you're really getting into the root of why you're making these food choices, why you're going through your day like a zombie. And when you go through this program, it sounds like you, you're giving them the tools to empower themselves to make decisions and understand the purpose behind their food choices so that they don't need to constantly look at the book or anything like that. They now have the tools to move Mm -hmm. forward. And that's with all cleanses, right? Everybody does a cleanse at the end of the year and it's like 10 days and they're like, the girl at the Mrs. Greens is doing a 10 day cleanse. So she's got two two more days to go. Mm -hmm. And then what? And then what? The the cleanse is done. And then they start celebrating by the end. They're like, oh, good, two more days. And you're like, wait, hold on. Right. So this really sounds like it goes beyond that. And it goes deeper into the the food choices. It goes into their life, their work life, their family life, their, you know, their exercise routine. It really, I think it starts to make them question why they're doing the things they do and just pausing. Beyond food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really not a diet book. And I think it's different than most cleanses too, because I, I, I have trouble sometimes even talking about cleanses in a way that it's this thing that we should all of a sudden do because our bodies are always detoxifying ourselves. If we didn't, we'd be dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's relentless. I mean, look what we do to our bodies. It's kind of <laughs> we have this notion that drinking this you know, herbal tea supplement that we're paying $800, $800 for is going to somehow give us that, that final cleanse that we need. Like, that's why we have livers, you know, hopefully functioning ones. <laughs> We're dead of our 20s, okay. But yeah, no, I think Ayami did an incredible job um, approaching this in a way that really stems from a place of spirituality and mindfulness in a way that's also very practical 
without having to get to get into the science. You know, e- even going back to the starting the day with um, with water and lemon in the morning. I mean, hydrating yourself first thing in the morning. Most people, how habitually do we just you know grab for you know something quick to eat before work, or we just eat food even if we're not hungry. And uh, you know, we get so programmatic, I think, in our habits that it's. I love this practice. I've definitely incorporated this into my daily. I do a little bit of apple cider vinegar sometimes instead mm-hmm. of lemon if I don't have any around. But it's the same idea. You drink something that not only is hydrating you, but also drinking something that's a little bit acidic um, will introduce the opposite effect in the body. So it kind of neutralizes the body. And it does really not just, I think, um, you know, sort of help you clear your head on a more spiritual level, but mm-hmm. on a physical level, it mm-hmm. really resets your stomach acids and um, it's, it's great to start the day with that. Well, it's, I'm just thinking about all the different things that we do uh, ritually to prime ourselves. So when women put on their makeup, they'll put like a base layer on. When we paint the walls, we'll put primer on. So we do all of these things to kind of prep for whatever that next thing is. And But why are we doing it with our bodies? You know, we're getting up in the morning and we're you know, having coffee or whatever, grabbing something and unmindfully and eating it. Um, but getting up in the morning and starting your day with an inner rinse. Mm. I can't imagine anything better. And one of the things that I, I don't think a lot of people understand is that your GI tract from your mouth all the way to the other end, that is actually the part of your body that is outside, like if you think about it, everything goes from that and then permeates through into the body. If you think about that tract, it's like kind of outside because it's going in one hole and out the other. (laughs) It's even even before the mouth. It's our eyes and nose that we consume with first. Yeah. And ears. Ooh, explain. Yeah. yeah, Explain that. Go into that a little. (laughs) I mean, I kind of think I knew where you're going, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we've all heard the expression, we kind of uh, eat with our eyes first. Like you see something, yeah. it starts to get your, you know, you start to salivate something really delicious. That's the way I get when I see kale in the morning. Not kidding. <laughs> Not <laughs> I, it's my favorite topping on oatmeal. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, just uh, when you when you approach food and you start to smell something that somebody's cooking and even preparing it too. I think when you prepare food mindfully and, you know, you don't just nuke something in the microwave quickly you get to, you start to smell it, it turns on your senses, it's triggering things, things in the brain that prepare your body for the food. Yeah. You start producing more saliva. Um, so digestion definitely happens even before we put that food into our bodies. We're already mentally prepped for what's to come. Like we're already prepping. Like there's, there's stages that are happening before that food even hits our body. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, to, to prep it all, to prime it, to prime your day every morning with something, some kind of goodness in there. And, and I've heard that before about like putting something in your body that's acidic, like the lemon or the apple cider vinegar, and that it will have kind of this alkalizing effect mm-hmm. and really resetting you for the day. Like every, every day you have this chance to reset and nourish again. And every time we put that fork to our mouth or spoon or pick up the food, like we've got a choice there. Mm-hmm. But if we're not paying attention to what that is, if we're not involved with the experience, when you were talking about having people experience their food and, and like what, what does it feel like to have the holding the cup like to your lips, all we're doing is like it's not changing the action. We're just dropping in to the action to be a part of it. Right. right? This is how we don't miss 
our life. <laughs> yeah. Because we do, we are really good at just doing like we've got that down. Yeah. Right. But it's becoming so rare that we just be are or be with things, um, food, people, whatever it might be. And, um, I, I guess I think of the analogy of like we breath. I mean, Jess, you and I know this as teachers, we talk about the difference between just standard breathing, automatic breathing, which could just be like standard eating a meal, you know, day in, day out versus really paying attention to what we, what kind of access we have to our breath, the, the capacity of it, the depth, the softness of it, maybe the temperature of it, the, the pause for sure in between each breath. And that's just like eating, you know, it's like we have, it's not, it can just be eating for the sake of putting food in your mouth, putting, you know, your dish away, fine. Or it can be something really to marvel at and it can become something that is more of this idea of not just living, but existing with your food, like being in that exchange. And um, for as long as we're alive, it would just be, it's such a shame to throw that away. So I guess this book is just about one, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a segment of what we do in our life, we eat to survive. So why would that be something that you throw away or put to the side? Yeah, why isn't that priority? Yeah. Why isn't that the priority? And what, what have you, have you had people, have you had feedback from people? I have. Positive feedback? The fe- well, the <laughs> feedback that I get most often is really not related to the food, which is fine. I mean, it's, it's related to the food in a sense that they went through the cleanse and they were happy with it. And they actually love the recipes. Um, and they start to embrace a plant-based lifestyle, which is awesome, right? But the feedback that I get most often is, gosh, I didn't know what this mindful eating thing would do for me. And it's usually, it goes beyond the food. It's like, now I finally was able to talk to my kids and actually see them and hear them. Not just see them crying, but see past their tears and see into their eyes and just communicate with them. Um, Or I was able to finally find time in my work day to sit down and eat my lunch. Therefore, I was more focused. So it's these... It's these ahas that people have from the lifestyle aspect. So they may not go completely plant-based after this, right? But at least they're maintaining the mindfulness so that they've got the seed planted. So they know it's there. They've got access to it. And that, to me, is number one step is, okay, it's there. I know I can open that door, but it's now their choice. But at least they've seen and lived through 22 days or maybe more of just full on being with your body, your food, and the way you feel. So many people don't know where to start with mindfulness or meditation. You know, um, mindfulness, I think, being kind of a form of meditation, you know, dropping into the moment and being aware, paying attention. And so you can take mindfulness and you can really apply it to just one sector of your life, like food, like maybe dinner. You could even, you could even bring it into just like dinner time with your family. Like you can bring it into one event. And if you practice that over and over again, it can't help but infiltrate its way into 
how you move through the world. So when people say like, I don't know where to start, just start somewhere. Start with that morning glass of water. Be in that experience. Do that every single day. Become a master at that. And without any effort whatsoever, that skill is going to start to seep. And I think that that's what you're finding with your book is that, yeah, the food is great, but the food was almost the vehicle for the transformation that mindfulness can and, and will, when practiced, will really orchestrate in your life to, to just being a, a participant in your life and that you start with one little thing, but it's going to, it's going to pervade, it's going to pervade it all. Right. Right. I, I think a lot of people, they go to cleanses more for some body image thing, right. Or, or at least it was for me a lot growing up. And, but at the same time, they're like, oh, but it's also for my well-being and also for my health. And when, when we go into cleanses with this al- alternative motive, um, then you are, even if it's a mindfulness-based cleanse, you might still not be open to hearing um, the message. So what I try to do in this book is, is not um, use words that become a distraction you know, and really just talk about things that everybody can relate to and, and can incorporate pretty, pretty easily. Like um, when I talk about meditation, I say, well, anything, like you were saying, anything can be a meditation. Just start some, somewhere that you can um, connect with. It can be music. It can be, it can be food. It can be your pet. It can be your friend, your partner. Um, something that allows you to just drop in. So I think when, when you approach people from this perspective versus saying, hey, if you do this for 22 days, you're going to lose this amount of pounds because you'll be eating this many calories. And by the end of this, here's how you can then take it forward. Just make sure you're still eating this number of calories. It's just like that it feels really restricting. And um, it's the opposite of mindfulness. It, it gets you... It gets you stuck in this bubble where mindfulness just liberates you from all of that. So another piece of feedback I get is that people feel a lot more free with their food, that they can actually eat more. And they're still getting the side benefit for those people who want it to lose weight if they need to. Um, But there's no sense of people going hungry or missing foods. In fact, they're like, whoa, I didn't know what a jicama was. You know, I didn't know what this type of squash was. So they're actually gaining access to more, whereas a lot of times other cleanses restrict you and take away. And so this book to me feels like it's for everyone. When I signed up for the cleanse that I did in May, I signed up because my mind told me that I didn't need it, right? So anybody who thinks that they're healthy and they don't need it, Mm -hmm. this is a great cleanse for them to do because it's so much more than the food. And one of the reasons why I signed up for the one that I did is because it was involved with the yoga studio I worked at and there was a lot of mindfulness being brought into it. And that is where the lasting changes come from because change is only available in the present moment. Right. That's it. That is the only time that change can occur. And so people were having these, a lot of aha moments because they were bringing 
their awareness, like really dialing their awareness into what's happening. So I think that this book, um, there are no limits to, to people who could benefit from this. If you think you eat really healthy, even if you're on a plant-based diet, do this cleanse. Mm-hmm. Because it, it may be, even if you think you're mindful, it's going to give you other, um, the daily, the daily um, lessons that you have in there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring in um, a new flavor to it. Yeah. And then it's just, we can all use reminders, right? It's like, even as teachers of mindfulness or whatever, we still, we still need reminders. So I'm like, well, heck, if I, if I teach this stuff and I need reminders, then I'm just going to keep sharing because until the day where I feel like I don't need the reminder, this is my responsibility right now is to just keep putting out the feelers Mm -hmm. that's all I can do. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is people, you know, really looking and finding and living their purpose because we, we want to share a story that helps people feel inspired to take that next action, whether that is just um, a thought to believe in themselves that what they are thinking is, is possible. And so you took the chance and you wrote this book. Um, so I want to get into your your. I want to get into both of your stories and actually, Spee, let's start with you because um, we've been hearing a lot of Iami talk, uh, <laughs> talking which, too much, which we love. <laughs> but you were talking to us about kind of an aha moment that you had with your career. So if you can kind of talk to us about that and like you're the plant based yogi, like how did that all come about? Like, tell us your story. We want to hear your plant based story, your professional story, and what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah. Um... It's been it's been a fun journey, um, kind of. So yeah, recently started this. Um, I guess you could call it a website or uh, an online brand called Plant Based Yogi, um, and finally came to that after starting to live a plant based lifestyle for a while and realizing that within the yoga community, I felt like there was a lack of. Um, I wasn't meeting a lot of people on a plant-based diet that were yogis, or at least talking about it, even though it seemed to be historically a big part of um, yoga. Um, so kind of came to do that. Um, but going back a little bit before that, and and I can get into, if you want to know, sort of my reasons for going plant-based. My yeah, there. absolutely. <laughs> okay, so starting all the way back, um, when I lived in New York City, I graduated from college uh, in the late 90s and just had incredible opportunities, moved to Manhattan right out of school when there were still a lot of dot-com jobs in the city. And so just had, you know, didn't have much trouble finding a job. I had majored in um, film and video production and uh, got a great job working uh, briefly in corporate. I was putting together ads uh for Saturday Night Live and working with a company that I think no longer exists or got bought by Getty, but it was called the Image Bank. And they basically sell commercial videography and photography and just made awesome connections there and eventually went independent into film production. Uh, met up with some friends from NYU who had already started to build this company called Dolce Films. So this journey in film uh, starting to get into documentary work took me on a path of getting into fashion video. So we were doing uh, our company, Dolce Films. We did a lot of behind the scenes of New York, New York Fashion Week, uh, LA fashion, you know, anything to do with fashion. Got hooked up with Puff Daddy or Diddy, whatever they're calling them these days. 
um, <laughs> back before when he was just starting his uh, fashion brand, Sean John. So like at, at the grassroots, you know, they had this new company. They were looking for a really edgy kind of marketing and, and video and that kind of stuff. So did a little, work, little bit of work with them. Make a long story short, I was out. Um, we, our company was, we outbid everyone because we didn't make a lot of money because we just did this for the love of doing it. And we also weren't very business savvy at the time. We were out in LA and we got the exclusive contract to do Smashbox Studios Fall Fashion Week. Um, I think this is 2003. And uh, it was so much fun, I have to say. Probably the most fun I've ever had working, but just, you know, hanging out with celebrities and models and parties everywhere. Being professional, I met Jack Nicholson because his daughter... um, Jennifer had uh, some wares in the, in the fashion there and had a show. So I got to hang out with Jack Nicholson. It was like amazing, right? And in the midst of all this, you know, uh, I, I like to look back on it and think of it as secondhand coolness, right? Meeting all these cool people, but uh, um, not feeling quite cool, but just felt cool to be a part of that. I met the, this uh, couple that they said, you got to go get an interview with this girl. Uh, these, these two girls, Nikki and Paris, are like the it girls, so... Like, oh, fine, you know, whatever to Paris. And she agreed to an interview and um, got her to do a quick sit down. She gave us five minutes, you know, and I had my one man show at this point because the other guys were off shooting other shows at the time. Set up the camera, set up the mic, turn it on, go. And she started talking about, you know, fashion and how it related to world peace and high heels and perfume and, you know, what the relationship was there. I, I had this out-of-body experience where I kind of somehow kept the camera steady but was looking down on myself from what I got into film and production to do, which was to change the world by exposing topics, by showing the reality of the world. And somehow I'm, I'm helping this girl who I don't even know why she's famous talk about how her perfume is going to help starving people in Africa realized I needed to do something different with my life. <laughs> that would be an aha moment. <laughs> that was the aha moment, yeah. Or the WTF the d- moment. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so what so what happened from that? Like did you go you went back from the trip? Like when how quickly was the change? It it was the seed was planted at that point. Uh went back to New York. I, I realized that what I really loved about filmmaking the act of it too, because you know it, it's hard work. You know, just even doing sound production, it's so much work goes on to doing any type of media, digital production, and artistry and everything. That what I loved about it most was bringing people together to create things. And so I thought, okay, how can I apply those skills that you learn doing production to maybe something that would give me access to greater change? And I started kind of looking at people in my life that I felt like were making incredible impacts on the world, doing things, creating things, or whatever it was. And I was really afraid of the whole idea of uh, going back to school and even getting a degree, but I realized that a lot of the people that were creating these things that I thought were really affecting people's lives every day were people that understood business, which I didn't know a lot about working as an artist, living in the East Village, and you know, in the city, you know, that was a, a dirty word, the, the idea of going to get into business, you know, play those games. But um, decided that if I wanted to make a real shift, I was going to need to get a little more 
school or, or get a piece of paper that said I had this degree. So I went for my MBA along with an MS in information science. Um, since I always had a passion for technology to kind of fuse those two, but also differentiate myself and give me access, hopefully at that point, to a company that would have the resources that I felt like I could make more of an impact working together with people. Um, so somehow made it all work. Um, that kind of made a nice story uh, when I went back to school and got noticed by a recruiter for a company here in Princeton. Um, I, I won't name them, uh, but I, I ended up getting recruited down here to, to work for a pharmaceutical company. And, uh, you know, this was not an industry that I think anyone would say is looked at very favorably, especially in light of uh, this whole recent EpiPen thing, which is not the company I work for. But I thought, what better way to make change in the world than to go inside a company that, um, you know, maybe I would say without a doubt is doing incredible things, making life-saving compounds, extending people's lives, definitely making a difference in people's lives. So there's the end result, you know, of that company doing great products, but also from the inside, what kind of change could I introduce, even if, if it's on a small level, to help make it an even better company? You know, I, I think it's easy to complain about these bad industries from the outside, but um, yeah, people are often surprised when uh, they hear that my day job is working for a big bad pharma but then you're doing, you're teaching yoga, and you're also doing cooking demonstrations and all of that, and promoting this plant-based lifestyle. So when I look at it, and I and I listen to your um, kind of that story about how you can get into a company like this and how can you make change there, you're doing it on both of the levels. You're doing it on the all right, we're already here. How can how can we make this the best we can make it to treat these people? And you're doing it. On, I mean, in that same level with food, of because a, because plant-based nutrition has been shown to reverse many of these chronic diseases, but you're also doing it on the preventative side of things by educating people about you know the vibrancy that they can attain in their lives by eating plants. Right. And do you yeah. feel like what you're doing right now with both of these things that you're you're in alignment with where you're supposed to be? I think I think I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, it can be challenging at times. Um, I think the most frustrating thing in my day job is learning about a lot of these studies that are going on now, uh, the tr tremendous amount of resources and money that we're looking into, many illnesses that we now know or some of us know could be prevented through lifestyle interventions as opposed to, um, you know, pharmacologics or, uh, you know, doing that. But it's frustrating because they don't, they don't look at diet in a lot of these studies, you know, so that they have control groups and then they have the group that they give the medicine to, but they haven't done a lot of this with, they don't ask them what they're eating at the time. You know, they don't treat root causes. But don't you think that that's on purpose? Oh, yeah, they're not bringing diet. I mean, it's almost like yeah. the GMO, like Monsanto, like it's, they won't address the issues that people are saying, you know, that GMOs are like, it's like a don't. Yeah. Once they address it, then they need to fix it. Right. So yeah. if they start addressing the, the diet, I mean, I think all four of us agree that diet is instrumental in preventing disease. Yeah. And it, well, and therein is really the problem. I mean, 
it, it's by design they're not looking at the food and, and nutrition because you can't patent broccoli. Right. There's no yeah. There's no big. There's no money in turnip. <laughs> but flare with broccoli. But if <laughs> you there is. right. If you look at the efficacy of lifestyle interventions, with Dean Ornish was doing, you know, and, and has proven, you know, Dean Ornish proved that you could prevent and and reverse heart disease through diet and lifestyle interventions. The efficacy of food as medicine has is it's so much more beneficial on the, you know when you look at these studies when you compare the drug to the food you have none of the side effects of group that's doing the healthy whole foods <laughs> you might have some wonder drug that's going to cure something or you know lower your cholesterol or something but all the side effects you know the drug interactions all these things why don't we just do this simple thing you know i think we're a long way away from getting to a point where the the education that needs to happen around food and the power of whole foods and, and, and other lifestyle interventions as well, like yoga and meditation, it's going to be a while. So we're going to need some pharmaceuticals because if I find out that I had some type of cancer or something, I would not rule out using pharmaceuticals. Um, many of them can ex- definitely extend life. Um, my brother is a cancer survivor. Uh, he actually, uh, was diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma while I was doing my degree in Boston um, in, in school. So, you know, living with someone fighting cancer and then seeing them get better, um, it was ho- really difficult to, to watch. It, it was, those treatments are not uh, a cakewalk for sure. But it also does, it made me appreciate the fact that he wouldn't be around if it weren't for the hard work of the, the doctors, the, the pharma, pharmaceuticals that made these drugs that enabled him to get a new lease on life. He was in his 30s, you know. I and think I'm just seeing like the blending of these two worlds is kind of exactly where you should be right now. <laughs> well, he does yeah. a really good job of like you asked the question, you know, do you feel in alignment with the work and the teaching and the cooking stuff? And um, I think you've, I think you found just the right balance, you know, work stuff aside and all like whatever you just mentioned, like that aside, I think you have found a way to, to be in balance with those three things so that when, when work's done, work's done, you come home and you cook a delicious meal. And then it's all about like plant-based, like passionate food, cooking, mindful eating. Like when we're together, you're never not here. You're just with me. Whereas my path was very different because I, I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't find that balance and I didn't think it was possible until I met you because you actually do like, you just work is work when you're there, you're focused. And when you're home, you're home. When you're teaching yoga, you're teaching yoga. When you're eating, you're eating, you know, it's like, I don't know. I couldn't do it (laughs) because when like for me, like work stress just infiltrated every other aspect of my life. So maybe that's why I wrote the book too, is because I know how my brain used to function. And I know that a lot of my friends and clients and, and probably family have experienced the same idea where it's like, you try to come into balance with other parts of your life, food or not. 
but the stresses can sometimes take over. So even if you're trying to be in balance, you're still something from the past or something that's coming, it takes you over. But you've done, <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but you just like, I've never seen you stressed <laughs> outside of, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's all the yoga. It might be the yoga. It might be the meditation. You just might be, you just came into this world equipped to kind of live in that polarity of these two different worlds, really, like the pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. and then coming home to the plant-based. Like you were just equipped to do that. Like we're all (laughs) equipped. We all bring these different things into into the world. So how did you become plant-based? What's that story? My father passed away of a heart attack. Uh, pretty young age. Uh, I was in my, my early 20s. It was pretty sudden. He was in his 40s. Uh, but definitely, you know, uh, my father had a, had a lust for life. He loved going out and eating good food, eating a lot of rich food, um, but, you know, great sense of humor and everything, and just really appreciated everything in life so much, maybe a little too much. Um, but we didn't, we didn't know back then, or I didn't know, that, you know, uh, eating really, really rich foods over time is, is going to put you at, at risk. It had a transforming effect in our, our whole family. So it kind of made us all in our family question things. Um, I was at the same time very lucky that as I was starting to get into a healthier lifestyle and getting even more into to yoga and fitness and nutrition, I stumbled upon... Um, this pilot program that Whole Foods was doing at a couple of locations around the country, and it was called a wellness program, or the Wellness Club, I think it was what it was called. And uh, Princeton happened to be one of the stores where they offered this. So the idea of it was um, they kind of built like this mini, uh, you could almost think of it like a health club or uh, you know a fitness club, inside of Whole Foods. So they built a little like storefront, a little lobby, and then inside you paid a member fee. So it was like $45 a month or something. And you got unlimited classes in cooking, in nutrition, in uh, yoga. You could actually take a class. I, I took yoga classes in our Whole Foods. Like they built this little yoga room. It's really cool, amazing program. And that was really where I got schooled my first exposure to some of the the realities and the truths about about food and the things that they don't necessarily teach us in school and certainly what you're not going to learn by by reading food labels it was eye-opening you know and that just that was the spark then i went and you know i read the china study i saw forks over knives Uh, just from there i started getting really into um learning as much as i could and uh I actually went kind of pescatarian first. <laughs> um, it was easy for me to give up cheese and dairy that never really seemed to agree with me anyways. But I started to feel better and better the more animal foods that I, I stopped consuming. And then one day it just decided, I, you know, I just jumped all in. But I did it, I think really the key to me also through that transformation wasn't just sort of wanting to get healthier and stumbling on this program. What made that particular pilot program successful for me, and I did this with many other people, was that they built a community that I did this with. So as we took these classes, the other members, we were learning together, we were getting cooking lessons together that showed us how to cook, 
you know, whole foods, plant foods. That, I think, is the missing piece from so many people that try to make any kind of change in your life, whether it's diet or, you know, getting into a more active lifestyle, is having that community support um, is such a key. And I would not have been able to do it, I think, had uh, I had this amazing community, people doing it with me and supporting me. And there's so much now, like Facebook groups and all the online support that you can get that probably wasn't available back then. But support is huge, and support is a big piece of of um, really adopting health as your lifestyle, and not just something you're going to do, you know, at the beginning of the year and then fall off. Like it really is the support to make the changes, for sure. So, how long ago was that? That um, how long have you been completely plant based? Uh, it's been about five years. I think I started the program in 20, 2010 or 2011. Actually doing that and watching people that, you know, I went in as a fairly healthy, you know, guy, learned, wanted to learn, get healthier and learn more about nutrition. There were people that started the program with type 2 diabetes, with hypertension, with all kinds of autoimmune disorders that I watched them transform themselves. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, we were celebrating people getting off of their diabetes meds, you yes. know, lowering, losing weight, lowering blood pressure. When you see people take control of their own health, that is such an amazing thing to witness. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we see that in our yoga classes and we see it, oh, yeah. um, I mean, we see it with food, but we see it with what we were talking about earlier is that they come into the space, you know, maybe for a physical workout, and then all of a sudden they're connected with their breath, which connects them to the present moment, which is the gateway to major transformation in life. And so it's just so cool to see everybody's individual journey mm-hmm. and, um, and then where they go. Yeah. So Ayami, what about you? When did you start with being plant-based? What's your, what's your story, girlfriend? Huh. Um, so my story with when I started, became plant-based was um, my ex-husband had really high cholesterol and he was not going, he wasn't willing to exercise or, you know, take that route to, to lower it. And so I was like, okay, well, if that option's completely out of the picture, then I guess food, (laughs) we need to work on the food. So I looked at what he was eating. I was like, well, what if we just, what if we just started fresh, you know, and to me, fresh was like, let's just cut out meat, dairy, poultry, seafood, like, let's just go clean and whole foods and see what happens. And within two months, he not only lost like, oh God, it was something like 60 some pounds (gasps) from no, I mean, this guy didn't, he maybe walked my dog, you know, but that, <laughs> that was it. And I was amazed. And I was also eating that way as well, obviously, because I was cooking and doing all that for him. So um, I know, noticed in myself how I felt, first, I felt really calm. It was this weird, and I don't know if you guys felt that when you went off like red meat and chicken and all that, but I felt like a little bit of nirvana state, just like a little bit of like you're floating um, on this wave of just it was like a sustained level of energy, but it was just the right amount, nothing that spiked or dipped too low. It was just nice stream. Um, so yeah, I've, like a wave you could just ride. Just ride. You yeah. just ride the wave. Yep. And so from, but from there, um, 
he he then did, went on his journey with food, which was very different than mine. I kind of stuck with it because I became really curious. And like I said, I had tried all these different cleanses and diets and and I just found myself on a roller coaster. And I was like, but I would I want to be on that just riding the wave rather than be up and down in in what do you call it? like riptides and you know, like the crazy stuff. You just kind of wanna be smooth. So for me, um I this was probably this was over 10 years ago when I first went fully plant-based but then because I was curious about well, what happens if I introduce stuff back in so I went back and forth and and I like to talk about that because I think a lot of people are scared about the back and forth and they think that's something to be shameful about but that helped me actually really solidify and become clear in my decision to stay plant-based I think of plant-based, whatever vegan, whatever word, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what word you put around it. It's, um, it's a lifestyle, right? It's like, I think about when I teach, I essentially teach people to live from their heart, to be compassionate and to be kind. So if that's, if that's the lifestyle that I'm teaching people, then I need to make sure that I'm truly living it as much as possible. And there are obvious ways that we can do that, right? It's like, well, I can be sure that the words that I speak come from a place of love. I can be sure that the actions that I take aren't from a place of anger or flight or um, freeze or fight response and that it's more from a like, let's stop for a moment and consider what it is I'm doing. And then I think of food as a sector of that. It's like food is a segment in our values. So if I'm really truly telling people and reminding people to live a life of love, then food is in there for me. So for me to feel like I'm being 100% honest, I guess I have to ensure that the things that I put inside of me, whether it be air <laughs> or food or the people that I surround myself with, all these things that we intake, we can control and we have a choice of. So it's just a natural, every day, it's an every day I wake up and go, okay, today, plant-based, right? Because at any point, I'm, I don't, I don't know. I think it's it's an everyday choice. It's not like once you become vegan, right, that's it's it. I mean, it's still every day you wake up and go, oh, hey, I, I see a donut over there. It's not vegan, but I'm still choosing to be vegan. Like, hey, I've got a partner. I choose him every single day. Um, I choose my career. I choose this house, right? It's like we we forget that we have choices in everything that we do. And so plant-based to me is just, it's just a little segment of a lifestyle. And um, for that reason, I, I can't see a way I, right now in this moment, why I wouldn't be, because it just feels like it aligns with um, what I want to see more of in the world. And, and it's like those reminders we were talking about. It's like the more that we remind ourselves. So every time I eat, it's like a reminder, like, oh, right, okay, compassionate, gotcha, like love, like who, who was harmed in this? No animals, right? It's like, it's like a constant reminder and, and it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful reminder to know that um, it's, a, it's a, a small impact maybe we as individuals make in the world, but it's also a pretty significant one in the grand scheme of where we're headed. And yeah, like we're just kind of in the front line, 
Mm-hmm. And that makes it even more exciting mm-hmm. for people like us who like we're able to to talk to all kinds of different people on this path that we're on. So whether it be in written form, because some people learn better from reading or talking or moving their bodies or giving them food to eat or giving them a touch, it's like any any which way you can educate people and mostly connect with them. Mm-hmm. That's... That to me is, um, is how you get people excited about it and how we can stay excited on our path. You talked about community and I think this all evolve, revolves around community and those experiences you have bouncing back in and bouncing back out. Yeah. I think with the community, we can share, just the four of us in this room right now can share so many instances in our um, journey to being plant-based that we can meet people wherever they're at, no matter where they are, to connect them with the how of what to do next, Right, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. we all have this experience and we just need to continue on our path in our own little way, like you said, mm-hmm. to continually spread the word and, and interact with these people so we can help them along. Like it's okay to go in and out. That's okay. You can speak to that. It's okay to go all in. I know that's the... Some people can do that, but everybody has a different scenario and meeting them where they're at and helping them along on their journey then creates this plant-based movement one person at a time, mm-hmm. more and more and making it more prevalent. Yeah. We, we were talking uh, on, our, on our road trip home from Farm Sanctuary. Uh, it was just last weekend, right? Mm-hmm. So we were kind of reflecting on spending the weekend there. We went to the the New York hoedown, which is always a blast. It was our second year. About how, you know, as plant-based people or as as plant-based advocates or, or vegans, whatever you want, whatever label you want to put on it, we tend to make it all about the food, right? Like we talk a lot. And food is a big component of our lives and, you know, with good reason. And you can find the, I think you can find the connection of food to virtually all of the major challenges we face in humanity. But because of that, I think it's important to recognize that, as you were just talking about, it is a lifestyle that connects us, not just to community, to each other, to animals, to the earth, to the environment. So it's so much more than just about the food that whether you wanna call it mindfulness or plant-based or vegan, it's it's really, uh, it's a, it's a kind of humanism to me. And uh, I, I think we have to start to introduce new language that speaks to that um, so we can include people in that conversation because sometimes starting with the food is a non-starter. If, if you go to certain places in this country and you say, hey, let's be more mindful about you know, eating some of these animal products and, and you know, put a kale salad in front of them, they'll <laughs> say thanks, but no thanks. You know, but what if... What if those same people we talk about, you know, maybe there's a way that we can have you feel more connected to people in your life, to your families, to your community, that you can share meals together and and be happier and take control of your health. You know, and all these other things that we experience when you go through the transformation, it's not just the food. Um, Food should be pleasurable and all that. But, you know, choosing that every day, it's you choose so much more. I mean. That's, that's been my journey through plant-based is that I was always pretty healthy. I've been pretty lucky in that, that despite abusing myself in terms of the food I ate in my you know, younger years, 
I emerged kind of okay, but what I got out of going plant-based was so was this like unexpected spiritual transformation. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree. And like Ayami said, it's a, it's just a, a segment of a, a, a much bigger lifestyle. And like BJ said, it's meeting people where they're at and um, living in alignment with what we're teaching, with with what we're um, what is true to us. You know, you mentioned Farm Sanctuary, and one of their tenants is you know, one of their top five tenants is living in alignment with your values. And when we can live in alignment with our values, number one, we have to figure out what our values are. Like, what are we, what are we here for? And when we step into that, we start to unearth our messages and our teachings, because I believe that we're all here to teach each other and to receive from each other. Right. And so that allows us to walk into this more authentic life. So yes, I'm, I'm plant-based and I used to eat meat and I used to eat. So yeah, I can speak to that, but you know what else I can speak to? I can speak to the fact that I used to hate myself Mm. and that I, I was just a ball of stress and that I couldn't sleep at night and that I tortured myself with eating disorders for years. You know, it's like all of those things have led up to this full encompassing, like vibrant lifestyle that I can now live and teach from, but that there are certain members of the tribe that I can connect with. And those may not be the same members that you connect with, Ayami, because you've got your own story that you've lived through, you know? Like, so it's, it's like the eating and the mindfulness and, and really taking a look at ourselves and how we're moving through the world really allows us to step into who we are. And I think these days is like, that's, who people want to buy from and learn from and listen to is people who are like not afraid to admit when they have a plant-based detox book, say, you know, I, I I just make a decision every day on it, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you fall off the wagon or you make another choice, not that you fall off the wagon, but if you make another choice, like you're still you, you're still that beautiful giving, um, you know, mindful person, because you know, behind that choice is consciousness. Right, right. And, and you let go of the reins of trying to be perfect. Yes, I know. It's so important. And um, you guys are, are two people that are absolutely delivering amazing messages. And you're so unique in what you're doing, and living your purpose. And I I think, as you were talking to me, like, there's a book here. Do you guys know that between the two (laughs) of you? Uh Oh, that your next book is here. (laughs) Did you see that? Could you see that? So just let me know when you start writing it, because cool. then I'll say, but I told there you. There was also the transformation <laughs> that happened as a result of Hayami creating this book. How we met. How we met. Because <laughs> you were the first to read the manuscript. <laughs> oh, is that how you guys met? Yeah. Well, we, we, we knew each other. We were in, you know, yoga circles here are pretty small. Uh, and I was an admirer of her, of her teaching. But um, at the time, I was actually getting my degree in plant-based nutrition through, uh, through Ruby. I ended up doing the Ruby program, which I thought was amazing. Uh, Chad Sarno's got incredible. Oh, cool. We'll check. We'll put that, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check it out. But Mm -hmm. yeah, just, just briefly on that. Um, you know, Ayami said she was writing this book and it had recipes and she heard that I was, you know, learning a lot about nutrition and food and, and 
doing all these things. She said, would you mind looking at my manuscript? And I was flattered. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't mind. What, what can I possibly <laughs> And you offer? actually printed it out <laughs> before I ever did. <laughs> but I read it, you know, I read it covered. I instantly, sure did. I, I loved it. I thought the recipes were amazing. <laughs> they were creative, but yet simple, not overly complex. Um, you know, gave her detailed notes, but we would meet in a coffee shop in town and go over ideas about the book and talk about, you know, different things. And I think we had so much fun (laughs) and just had this instant connection um, talking about this and how it really, it's so much more than just about the food. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I love that, you know, it, we all have our stories. You guys were brought together over yoga and a detox book and PJ and I were brought <laughs> together over about 11 mudslides. So, yeah. you know, it's just a different story for everyone. <laughs> right, right. Um, but in closing and, and wrapping this up, I want to hear kind of a, a, a bit of advice from, from both of you. So Ayami, somebody who, um, is, you know, wanting to do like clean up their diet and they're, they've heard this detox word and now they're listening to this and they're like, Oh God, here it is again. Right. But they're fearful. They don't think they're ready to start. What do they need to be ready to start? (laughs) I think you don't need, you only need yourself, right. To be ready to start and to not have to worry about this word detox and to know that there is, there is a chance to be free of that word. And, and that's, to do the opposite of detox actually is just to be with the food that you're eating and to enjoy it mostly. Um, um, because when you are in a happy relationship with your food, then you're in a happier relationship with yourself. And when you're in that place, then you don't, you don't need to change yourself, right? You don't need to detox. You don't need to cleanse. So it's, um, it's not so much the question of, I want to, detox or what can I do to detox? It's, it's what are the steps can I take to really love myself? I love it. That's perfect. That's exactly in in alignment with, um, with your teachings and the way that you live your life. And I have so many questions for you, Speed, but I'm going to wrap it up with one question. So with this whole GMO dark mark act that was just signed by Obama and the labels and all of that. And people who are looking at all the different information out there and they're just overwhelmed, right? So this happens, they get overwhelmed. They're, you know, they're being duped and that's just a fact. Um, where do they start to acquire some knowledge to help get clarity on what's going to be a good and healthy way for them to support their body and their mind. Like where do they start to educate themselves and get out of that just confusion circle that is perpetuated on purpose? Any path that will connect you to those communities, whether it's finding a book like mindfully clear, that's going to plant those seeds and help you look at food in a different way. That's empowering. That makes you realize that you, you can choose this. Or if it's seeing a documentary, you know, being a former, uh, working in the, the film industry, um, seeing a, a movie like Forks Over Knives, for me, was, was transformative. There are so many ways, or online, there are these communities, there's so many ways to connect with the communities that um, it's so easy to get overwhelmed by the amount of science and the back and forth between is this healthy, is, is that healthy, 
but there's a beauty in discovering the simplicity in the whole foods nutrition because you should not need a degree in nutrition or know how to decipher the nutrition label and figure out is this a healthy food when you just go to nature and find things in its beautiful naturally made form uh, you know you don't need an ingredient list on apples and bananas and delicious whole foods just are perfectly packaged for us to eat and can sustain us so I think it's just simplifying it and discovering the beauty in, uh, in that simplicity perfect I love it I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, the amazing one bowl meal you made for us and um, for have, hosting us in your home tonight. And we've been looking forward to this interview. I love it. It's our first foursome. Mm. So. Exciting. <laughs> and if they want to know more about you guys, we're going to put a link um, where they can buy Mindfully Clear. But Ayami, where can people connect with you? Um, my website is just my name. So ayamiyamamichi.com. They've got links to my book there places that I'm teaching, workshops that I'm doing, teacher trainings, all that stuff is there. Awesome. And this girl, mm-hmm. you are on fire right now. You just taught at Wonderlust this summer. You've I got did. a book out. Yes. Um, I just told you guys you're going to be writing a book together. <laughs> so there's a lot happening. And, um, and Speed, where can people get in touch with you? Uh, so I'm plant-based yogi on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I think I have a Snapchat. I don't really do that yet. <laughs> oh my god, we always—it's always—we always have the Snapchat. Education on Snapchat. I don't. Yeah. I think you need to be twelve to understand Snapchat. So no, we don't know about Snapchat. Okay. Just but plant-based yogi. Yeah, you got You got to follow him. He posts beautiful pictures of food and. Um, yeah, these guys are great. So get on their train, buy the book, and. Uh, Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, thank you so much for hosting us on the tour. Mm -hmm. All right, signing off. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was fun. Mm -hmm. That was like an hour. Oh, my God. Ayami and Spee, what did you guys think? There's so much in that episode. Certainly one that I'm going to be revisiting These two are just a perfectly paired combination of mindfulness and intellect, and they have so much to offer, and they're always moving forward. They just returned from a tremendous vacation in Malaysia, and Ayami is prepping for her summer events. She has a yoga and meditation retreat coming up on July 7th at the Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania, as well as her next 200-hour teacher training starting August 18th in Princeton, New Jersey. Spee is getting ready to kick off the Princeton Environmental Film Festival on March 27th, an annual event that brings light to environmental sustainability from various angles through the screening of chosen documentaries. This will be the sixth year that he's on the committee, and he'll be announcing a feature film on April 2nd, so stay tuned. So go to the show notes and connect with these guys. Thank you for checking out the show today. Let us know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. And remember, everything in life is better with mindfulness. So let's not miss our lives and let's get on that train so we can ride the high vibe.